Peace and love, peace and love, Ringo here. What a beautiful day. My spirits are high because September the 5th at Tanglewood, we start the tour again. I wanna be your man. 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 You know, I love to play, I love to be live. So that's exciting. But there's several other things that are exciting that I've just been doing a video for my new EP, and so you don't get lost, EP3 is its title. And this is out on uh, the 16th of September. Everything's happening in September. And so I thought I'd just show you that. And, uh, what do you think? I love the cover. Of course, I love the music too. And for those who are guessing what the hell's happening. Welcome to this week's Monday with Fab. I'm Ed Chan. And I'm John Stone. Well, let's see. Revolver's land was pretty quiet this week. Yeah, I mean, they can only let out so many nuggets of gold every couple of weeks. Probably in the next week, but who knows? We'll see. Right. The verse from She Said, She Said that Ringo wrote. There you go. But we did get some new material for the first time in, gosh, we haven't had any new releases pretty much this whole year yeah what have we been doing <laughs> well we've been talking about stuff <laughs> just like last week when we talked about stuff with <laughs> friend oh, of the yeah. show darren murphy yeah yeah uh, although he had that tour to entertain us with for at least a significant chunk of that show
Badfinger featuring Joey Mullen. <laughs> All right. We've gotten really two releases in the last couple weeks. Is Ringo's finished? I mean, is he putting them together? He said he will. He hasn't announced the release. Listen, um, would you consider this EP to be a continuation of Zoom In? Uh, the yeah, last five I, songs were great. Yeah, no, I would think. And, you know, I've been thinking... Uh, about doing another one this year great and uh, and then next year you know we'll put it out as a as it's whatever the four tracks are but then i think nearer next christmas god we're living in the future uh put them all on a an album and put it out like that you know so as a total collection it's only a thought we'll see what happens yeah well i'll tell you man you're banning two for two that hasn't happened yet. The three EPs, the 13 songs, he had kind of said, I guess, last round of promotion that Christmas time, which may not be Christmas time, it may end up being next year sometime, he was going to put together the contents of the three EPs and make an LP. You know, 13 songs, which is a you know normal length album. And it's actually not like he's been off for so long. You know, he's, he took two years to record and release this album it's more or less what you would normally get so he's not working any less and yet he's planning on releasing a collection of three sets of recordings that he's already made yeah exactly right and yet disney can't seem to go you know we can put out the rest of this footage i mean right now it's like they're kind of holding on the get back peter jackson footage as if it wouldn't sell it's like, well, how many do you need to sell? Oh, you recorded our conversation. The recent Disney Plus docuseries, Get Back, directed by Peter Jackson, captures the band near its end. It would be nice. You really liked what he did with that. I loved what he did. The nearly eight-hour documentary follows the Fab Four in 1969 recording what would be their final album, Let It Be. Did anything you saw surprise you or make you emotional in any way? The only thing that got me crazy was, you see, I can't, I don't really play till they've got the song. I just keep time. Yeah. And so we had to uh, get back, you know, get back, get back, do it, you know, yeah. just straight rock. And then on the roof, it's bum, 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 bum. Now, what made me do that? Yeah. How did I get to that? Yeah. And maybe it's in the film, but it wasn't. It's just like one of those things. That yeah. It, I just changed it. Yeah. And for the better. I've got a feeling. The impromptu performance atop the headquarters of Apple Records in London would be the Beatles' last. That roof concert was amazing. Well, yeah, but that's... Typical Beatles, you know. But it's not exactly an ideal place to play a gig. Well, it is. We did it. I mean, the other way they could do that is Peter Jackson has basically told us that there's six hours worth. There's a part two they could put out there if they wanted to. Exactly. But they don't appear to want to. On the streaming service, you know, let's forget about physical media. The Disney is clearly of the opinion that physical media is either dying or almost dead. Yeah. Well, it's that whole thing capitalist thing of you always have to do more 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 sell better sell more 
Well, so, and I mean, you can kind of see that in the way they are putting together these uh, Beatle boxes. You know, Pepper and the White Album were very definitely CD boxes where the vinyl was an afterthought. Abbey Road was 50-50. The Let It Be box and this Revolver box are clearly vinyl first, CD second. And, you know, why is that? Because they make more money off of vinyl. Interesting. I don't know. I, it's certainly not an artistic decision. And right. I don't think Paul or Ringo actually care. I mean, Giles Martin, in fact, uh, in an interview this week, said that he had no hand in that at all. He is hmm. completely divorced from the people who decide what is going and how it will be appearing in the package. So he just produces the product, in effect. And then they go, well, this is how we'll market. Uh, you know, I would guess Paul and Ringo have some say, but even they don't seem all that fussed about, well, you know, right. release it however you want to release it, as long as it is presented in a way that we are not embarrassed by. Right. And that's cool. I mean, everybody understands the legalities. Who puts out the records? Well, you know, UME, obviously. Well, the, the, yes. And so they'll market it however they want to. And Ringo and Paul don't have to go into the studio and produce anything. And so, um, Giles puts this out or Apple and then it gets released. I think it's probably Jeff Johns and the folks who are at Apple in conjunction with whatever UME wants, you know, UME, they sort of go back and forth on things. But I still don't think packaging is necessarily even Apple's highest concern. I took half of the gym and made it an art room so I could splash paint around. And the guest house, 10 years ago, I turned into my home studio. Ringo recorded two EPs here when he couldn't tour and has just released another. EP3. In the last two weeks, we've gotten two things. We've gotten the uh, third EP from Ringo's collection, which, as we say, he will be probably releasing it as an album. He promised he would be, so I see no reason he wouldn't. He's got to find a way to get more colors out. (laughs) Right. But let's talk about the four songs that we do get here. Uh, I'm pretty pleased with them. This is a nice collection. Yeah, it's very Ringo. But there are still some different sounds. It's kind of amazing in a way that for a man who doesn't write a lot, a lot of what he does is either by other people or him contributing to that effort. But he has a very consistent sound. I mean, there is a Ringo thing that he hits pretty often. only wrote one of the songs on this ep he co-wrote the last song and that's it everything else is written by somebody else well you know and he's always done that you know through mark hudson and now it's steve lukather what was the original guy vinnie poncia we too it's just me and you 
Vinnie Pontian, and even before that. So he's always relied on other songwriters to come in. Yeah. Uh, he does a little bit more now. In the past, he either did or did not have a hand in production. Uh, now he at least has a hand in the production of every song that he puts out, I think. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and the, the recording world has totally changed. You don't have to get up to some studio and do it that way. You can be hanging out at someone's house. There's home studios everywhere. Rockabella West, as he calls it. Right. His back room. He very much likes the fact that someone can write a song and really demo it to the point that everything except drums and vocal are there, and then he can just replace the drums and sing his vocal and basically be done. Because he's dealing with the final mix, is he producing it or not? Well, kind of. Yeah, it's mapped out somehow. But it's kind of funny. I, uh, in reading or listening to uh, an interview with Julian about his album, that's kind of the same thing. He, he went back and listened to some older songs that he'd done and demoed and realized that the songs were basically there. What they needed was a real drummer. So he's doing the same thing Ringo did. Just let's bring in the real drummer and then the songs will sound much better. Julian is, to a certain extent, relying upon older material. Ringo doesn't tend to do that, although he is not against bringing up old songs if it seems appropriate to him. He's got Rock Around the Clock on the last EP, so. Yeah. He always does older songs. The other nice thing for Ringo and for everybody else is that he's all too happy to just play drums for somebody. A friend of his sends him a tape that they're working on. Uh, Ray Wiley Hubbard is is one that uh, you know <laughs> came out not too long ago. It's like we'd like Ringo to to do the drums on this, and he does and sends it right back. Julian should have taken advantage of that. It's something that I wish Paul would do a little bit more of. He's such a good bass player. Don't sing. Don't do anything. Just put a bass line on this for us. It kind of reminds me of what actually ended up being one of George's favorite slide solos is uh, the solo he plays on uh, that Belinda Carlisle song, Leave a Light On. Now that song's particularly special, isn't it? Because you had an amazing guest guitarist, I think, on that. Uh, George, George Harrison oh. plays the lead on that. Oh. Yeah. How did that happen, Belinda? Did you just know? asked. You asked. <laughs> did you? Just asked. I actually met him um, before that at the San Remo Festival. And it's just like one of those cases of just ask because you never know what the answer will be. So, wow. yeah, he said yes. And he said yes straight away. And there it was. I know. I think he was a, a, a fan of like that sort of girl group kind of sound yeah. voice and that gang thing. So sure. it appealed to me. You didn't do a lot of work with other artists. So. Oh, amazing. George liked to tell the story that Eric Clapton came to him one day and said, I heard this song on the radio. Someone's doing your style real well. You know, it's by that girl singer. And it's like, that is me. <laughs> Blenda Carlisle, co-rock and roll Hall of Famers, the Go-Go's. So the, the four tracks we got, the first one we've had for a while, although we did just get a new video for it. World Go Round. There's a nice bit of fooling around in Ringo's back bedroom. No, no, not that kind of fooling around before the song starts. <laughs> 
it's a pretty accurate depiction of just kind of working on music in the back room. Steve doesn't look like he changed his t-shirt. <laughs> they did not dress up for this video. <laughs> where, where do you hear this? Do you, do you want me to hit the chorus first? Or, I mean, do we have enough in the verse? I mean, let's hear what we don't have words. enough in the verses and we don't have enough in the choruses. So you want more? Right? I want plenty of guitar. Okay. So we But it's still always interesting to see Ringo working in his home studio. Yeah. It's not much different from the basement at Apple Studios. You got a room, you got cables running out, you got a control room away from the rest of the sound. So, you know, it's baffled just enough. Yeah. I don't listen to his recordings and think that's a bedroom recording. <laughs> yeah. You know, we've talked about this. It's guitar heavy. The one thing, as always, Ringo is auto-tuning every vocal on this EP. It's heavier than it has been even on the previous EPs. And I take it you don't like that. I'm not a fan. Light auto-tuning is okay. I mean, you, you said that you don't even necessarily hear it quite so much. I don't. And when I do, I don't know that it bothers me. It just becomes part of how this piece is presented. If it's light auto-tuning, if it's auto-tuning for the purpose of tuning the vocals, that's one thing. It's when you crank it just one step too many and it starts to get a little robotic in the vocal. Cranking the auto-tune to 11. Oh, my God. 11 gives you the uh, the share effect. You know, believe. <laughs> and what would that record be without that? <laughs> well, that record was written around the auto-tuning Cher's voice. Right. And the ironic thing is, is Cher doesn't really need it all that much. <laughs> she has right. a pretty good voice, you know. Yeah. And she doesn't go off-tune so badly so frequently that it becomes troublesome. Hold on, John. John, hold on. It's gonna be all right. This is the robot version. It's like... The future. You're gonna win the fight. Sometimes it's nice, though. It makes a weird thing, you know? I feel like some moments more than others. Like, yeah. there's a little trills at the end. That's why I tried to do those, because it's almost like he's giving us a little feel. And Whereas when it's just, like, nailed, like, right on the note, it's a little bit more computery. It does something cool to the voice here now. Yeah. Yeah. That was, like, falsetto. That was a Mariah Carey moment. No, it was definitely an effect. It meant to be an effect. But if you put it on six rather than four, it still sounds just a touch robotic, and that's kind of what bothers me vocal-wise. Well, Sticks did it, I guess. Ringo using it as an effect is like the new cover of Money he did not so long ago. The best things in life are free. Imitating the Flying Lizards version, that was using auto-tune as an effect rather than to tune his vocals. Here he's using it to tune his vocals, but it's just turned up a little bit high, in my humble opinion. This judge gave it a seven. <laughs> America's top singer challenge voice. 
Yeah, we'll stick with the mass singer. <laughs> Someone to love. Somebody new. Someone to love. Someone like you. Love, love me too. You know, I love you. I'll always be true. So please, love me too. Any idea who could be inside the hedgehog? Obviously, they were very far wide of the mark. This could be Ringo Starr himself. But they were very odd, odd people they thought I could be. It's Elton John. I was thinking it could be John Cleese. I'm a huge Monty Python fan. Me too. And I could be Eric Idle. We were trying to push them off a bit, but we didn't succeed very well. When you're chewing on life's gristle, that grapple, give a whistle. Oh, yes! It's been kind of magical. It's been very lovely. Kind of like being in a, a crazy spy thriller where you got dressed up as a hedgehog by day and then had to keep a secret. And I think from now on, I'd like to be known as Hedgehog. Look for the video. That's new. That's fun. I'm glad Ringo gave it to us. And the horsing around before the song is also good. And Steve is a great player. Uh, he's fun to watch. Just playing the guitar, yeah. Yeah. I don't know that they put all that much time and effort into it, but, you know, it's there. I'd rather have it than not have it. <laughs> right. Ringo's done a lot of stuff from Rockabella West film-wise. We know that room pretty well. It reminds me a little bit of the late-night shows when COVID was going on. Yeah. <laughs> See, it has influenced our style. <laughs> and uh, on Ringo's 80th birthday special, we even got to see the original Revolver art because Joe Walsh owns it. It says everything has to be brought around to Revolver. Wow. They actually were there hanging out and Joe Walsh said, I want to show you something, Ringo. And he brought out the framed original Revolver art, Klaus's art. And then he had to tell him, how much he paid for it. <laughs> and then Ringo went, you're a silly sod. <laughs> All right. Second song, everyone and everything. That's almost like a little tender gospel to me. You know, it struck me as being that Ringo formula again in almost kind of cookie cutter form. You know, the big chorus where you have people singing harmonies and uh, it's know, a, it's a very sort of sing song chorus. It's a nice piece of work. Nothing too inventive about it. No, but Linda Perry writes well for Ringo. There's a mellotron, there's a piano, there's a Wurlitzer, and then uh, lots of people singing background vocals, as you note. You know, good song. I like it. Really, I like all four of the songs. Right. Okay, the right. third song is Let's Be Friends, which was written by uh, Bruce Sugar, Ringo's longtime producer, uh, and Sam Hollander. More Steve Lukather. Keep those factory boys working. <laughs> Nathan East, who is... Hey guys, 
you have been listening to Nathan East your entire life, but you maybe just never knew it. He played for Michael Jackson, Eric Clapton, Stevie Wonder, Quincy Jones, just to name a few. And he recorded or played on more than 2,000 albums. You got a horn arrangement, so but I think those are synth horns, aren't they? Yeah, I think so. Sam Hollander did the horn arrangements, the female backing vocals. You think Ringo needs to lay off those a little bit? Those, I think, show up a little bit more often than they kind of need to. I think he kind of considers that his sound, that that's part of the way his records sound. Maybe that goes along with the auto-tune. <laughs> if I auto-tune myself and then the ladies are singing backup, those two sound real good together. <laughs> But if I don't, then, then we don't mesh so well. Well, you know, when you consider he's been recording now for 60 years, you change things just to change things so that you're not doing the same thing over again. Some of the things work, some of them not so much. George kind of did the same thing with the Live in Japan tour. He had female backup singers a little bit on concert for Bangladesh, but he went heavy and of course that was in part because he was using eric's band right that's one of the things that strikes me when i listen to live in japan these days it's like george didn't really use the backup singers quite so frequently here they're all over the place that was what early 90s yeah what 92 92 you know what what was the sound what was going on at that point because i agree some of it just doesn't work it takes away some of the delicacy of his music well i mean you like tax man <laughs> right The Japan version of Taxman, they could have rolled it back, even cut it in half. It doesn't need to be removed completely, but once you cut the, the backing in half, that might have been a better version of Taxman. Well, it's not a bad version of Taxman. He's never going to get it exactly perfect the way that tour went off. His rock voice was something he hadn't really exercised live in any time recently. Yeah, we all get a little bit older and a little bit slower. <laughs> the last song on the EP, I like this a lot. It's almost like Ringo doing Chardet. <laughs>
Yes. You got the Caribbean sort of feel to it. You got the tenor sax. Think smooth operator. <laughs> okay, I'll give that to you. And that's not a bad thing. It's something that, you know, we've been saying that all of this is all, you know, very much in Ringo's wheelhouse. This is something a little bit different. Right. Yeah, which you know, proves the point that you do something different and sometimes it doesn't work, but sometimes it's the one that makes you go, wow, that's cool. Cause it didn't sound like the rest. I mean, he, he is still auto tuning his, his lead vocal, but uh, even that is not quite so blatant as it is on the rest of the disc. That look of love in your this is the winner. This track is probably going to be amongst my favorites, although, you know, somewhere around here we'll probably, maybe when he actually announces it, we'll we'll go through and talk about the 13 songs as a collection. Yeah, because I really like Let's Change the World still. I mean, that's a, a good, good tune. It'll be interesting to see what it sounds like as a collection. Uh, we rate this as an EP. I'll give it a B plus. You know, it's... Maybe better than the last EP. You know, there's nothing on here that I dislike. And uh, I like all the songs and probably like Free Your Soul a little bit more than the other three. But it's all really pretty good. Yeah. While still being Ringo. The way I've always digested albums would be you have the, the collection of songs and there's always like, two three that really stand out it'll be interesting to kind of compare all three together you know and and that it'll also depend on if he collects them together how that affects the running order i can't see him not doing it right yeah so that that also affects the way you receive and accept music is the way it's programmed now as opposed to Ringo, Julian, his releases come out. Uh, it came out actually two weeks ago. I've had the chance to listen to it a couple times, digest it. Uh, uh, I wish I liked it more than I do. <laughs> right. I can't say that there's anything in there that I go, that really stunk or that didn't work. There's nothing blatantly terrible about it. And I actually like the last song quite a bit, although I kind of wonder what it's doing on this record. Gaia, that's a really neat little track. It's almost like a Broadway tune. Right. Love, hold my hand. Oh uh-huh. 
that bleeds is a heart that's true. There are songs on the, that I liked better than others, but overall, I know in a review you saved the overall for last, but overall, it's it's a real somewhat slow moving piano oriented piano and acoustic guitar one or the other yeah and you know after listening to it you don't feel like pop it up and take it on the day it's a lot more reflective but only a couple times do i really get hit by the emotion of what he's trying to say in the middle of both the vinyl and the cd it's a photo of julian sitting in a dark room looking up almost like he's sitting on a therapist couch <laughs> uh, well, with his acoustic guitar. You know, that kind of sums up the whole record for me. It made me wonder, is that how you're supposed to view this album? Are we going to play the role of Sigmund Freud and kind of go, well, that song is about or reflects, but that seems kind of unfair Unless that's what he wants. I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, yeah, after doing music for over 30 years also, you know, I, and also as an independent artist the last 20 years with the last, with the previous two albums, Photograph Smile and Everything Changes, you know, um, I, you know, I thought Everything Changes was really going to be the last album because I was just tired of putting heart and soul into the work and nobody really mm. hearing it. Um mm. I wanted to prove to myself, first and foremost, that I was capable of building a foundation of work, body of work outside of music that I could be proud of. And then, you know, if I wanted to come back to music, then, you know, uh, I, I really didn't care anymore what any remarks would be either way, because I felt that I'd, I'd proved my worth, you know, and, uh, uh, and that was important. So um, it was about, you know, uh, a coming coming of age in that respect, uh, in in, uh, in 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 just having that belief in myself and finding some balance and peace and um, and uh, being in a place now that I'm probably more together and more focused than I've ever been in my life. I think Julian is probably at his best when he's doing pop. He's not much of a rocker, and you know ballads he can do. Yeah. But it's the too late for goodbyes kind of thing that I think Julian is best at. And we really only get one shot at that here. Yeah. There's nothing as danceable. The beat on too late, it kind of makes you bop. There's nothing on this record that's going to make you bop. <laughs> Don't go, please stay. Or, I mean, you know, even Volat, you can feel it in his vocals on Volat. When he does the ballads here, it's all just kind of middle of the road. It sounds like the demos that they are. And the whole album was a journey, and it's music from... 30 to 40 years, you know, yeah. up, to, uh, up to, up to the end of uh, uh, putting the album together, which was about two years ago. Um, Cause mixing alone took about a year 
wow. thanks to the pandemic. Uh, because the mixer of Spike Stent was in Los Angeles. I was in Europe. And not only was there a time difference issue, but we were also working on other projects as well. So normally that takes 10 days to mix an album. Yeah, roughly, maybe a little more or less, but you know, a year long. But that gave me time, you know, to actually breathe and really listen to, you know, um, making sure the mixes uh, and the album felt the way, uh, the best that they could be. So, uh, you know, in that respect, it was okay. For at least half of the songs, he really needed another take. He's been doing a lot of press. You got to give him that. Although doing press for this album in 2022 amounts to him going into his office. And so you'll go and you look at all of these. I saw like a dozen different radio stations have done, you know, 10, 15 minute hits with Julian, including uh, our friend Jody Denberg from KUTX. And it is my pleasure to see Julian Lennon. It's good to see you, Julian. And also it's especially good to hear you again. Uh, Your new album, Jude, your seventh is out as of September 9th. Where are you today? I, uh, <laughs> I'm at home in uh, in my office, the box, uh, conducting interviews, and have been here for weeks now. <laughs> Absolutely, weeks and weeks and weeks. I, I, I live in Monaco. I've been here for about 25 years, but so, but I am here in the office. I, I you know, I've been watching every everybody else have a lovely summer outside. Uh, <laughs> but hey, you have to make these sacrifices. But it's okay, you know, it's all good. You look at Julian's side, it's exactly the same in every one of these interviews. It's like, okay. (laughs) I've got my very nice house outside this room, and what you're going to see is this room covered in Post-it notes. Right, my office. I go in, I spend 10 hours going around the world, and then I'm done for the day. Let's just run through the titles. If any of us has anything to say, which it sounds like we might not. (laughs) certainly on the first half of this record if this were a vinyl record i don't know that i'd necessarily even want to play the a side much more than a couple (laughs) times you hate it hate the a side the b side the songs i like are more on the b side i see so it starts with save me uh, you know uh again we've had that's okay it's the same problem that we have with this whole disc it's too long Every single song just about is too long. You know, five, six, seven minutes. Do we need that much, Julian? Uh, you know, can't you cut it back or do something or at least try verse, verse, chorus, verse? <laughs> yeah. And it may be that it stems from the fact that some of these songs are basically fleshed out demos. And so in demoing the song, it went on longer than you would have normally done it. And then they kept it that way. Yeah, he just didn't feel like editing it. I was working with my dearest friend, Justin Clayton, uh, who I've known since 11, who's written on multiple albums, and we've been on world tours together. And we d- I-, I brought him in, uh, in on this because his memory is astonishing when it comes to, you know, he'll say, well, I-, I played that guitar, these strings, and I had that chord going into that amp, and you were wearing a blue sweater. And I'm going, <laughs> What? What? I don't know what I had for breakfast yesterday. And, and so he's one of those guys. I'm just not. So, you know, it, it, he was very helpful in cataloging and putting this stuff together. And so uh, he'd also been on an engineering course. So 
we started this off, this whole project with him engineering uh, here. And of course, when the pandemic hit, um, you know, I mean, everybody had to, well, he had to go back to England. And so now I'm left in the middle of an album and I'm thinking, well, I haven't engineered for years. <laughs> and uh, I said, uh, I'm not sure if you call, could call my skills engineering or production, but you know, I, 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 I started twitching again and I, I decided, okay, let me see if I can do any of this stuff. Justin's been around since the Volat days. Produced by Julian Lennon and Justin Clayton. And uh, oh. <laughs> another kind of interesting thing, do you think uh, Julian was kind of maybe making a psychological statement, half-lit black and white? It's very much the same style of John's picture on with the Beatles, meet the Beatles. Just an observation. He's also using a uh, childhood picture in some of his publicity. And cool. on the cover, so I don't know what that means. And the first song that I, I did on my own was Freedom. And that, to me, set up the soundscape for the rest of the album. The whole feel, the flow, uh, the space between the, the, the needing to breathe between tracks and have a flow. Uh, 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 and, uh, you know, in, in short, just to finish off, I think it was definitely Spike, uh, uh, Spike Stent who mixed the album over the course of the year and the pandemic, which was something else, that really uh, kind of glued all the songs together. It had to be the right arrangement because these songs were for, from so many de decades. But um, I, I say what he did to the album, I say he, he did a Nigel. A Nigel which is he turned the mixes up to number 11, basically. <laughs> and and it, it just gave it a glue that uh, I think without him would not have been the same. Save Me is followed by Freedom, one of the ones which <laughs> I just didn't care for when it came out, and I still don't really care for it. I thought the, the use of the clock was kind of interesting. It sounded cool. <laughs> what really struck me on this is that there's a portion that he sings his vocal sound is very much Ron nasty. <laughs> it's like, you, you know, Neil Innes could have been singing this. Yeah, I can see that. The attempt to, well, I mean, I'm not saying that. I don't think he was attempting it. I think it's, you know, I don't know quite what Julian's natural singing style is. It probably defaults to something vaguely like John. I mean, Vlot may well be what Julian naturally sounds like, although, you know, he was going through a lot of weird stuff then. You had Fred Seaman bringing the stolen milk and honey tapes to Julian saying, oh, your father wanted you to do these and trying to get them produced. Right. So, you know, somewhere there is a disc of Julian singing, nobody told me. Don't know where it is. Don't know if it still exists. But we, we do know that Fred stole the tapes. Fred used that as part of his cover. <laughs> oh, your father wanted you to, to, to do these songs. And Julian went and did them. But uh, freedom is followed by every little moment. 
which I liked. It actually has a hook. It does. It was pleasant. I think I'm probably being a little bit harder on this than than I mean, mean to be. Like I, say, I, I went in kind of wanting to like it, but it just kind of lays there for the most part. I liked it, but I didn't like it enough to go, man, I have to have this. To put it on again, uh, the last three songs on side one, Not One Night, Love Don't Let Me Down, and Round and Round Again. Round and Round Again tries a little bit harder. I've had enough. I thought that Not One Night had a, a good melody. Since you've been gone, I've learned to stop Trying to hold on because there's not One night, one single day That I wouldn't give to you Those three songs epitomize kind of the worst of this record. (laughs) Ding. (laughs) Then you flip it over. uh, Love Never Dies. That's not a bad way to start side two. Right. It's another one that's a little bit long. Yeah, I'd agree. I think there are more songs on this that are slightly too long than not. This is one that just... As is Breathe. I actually really would have liked Breathe if it were about half the length. Well, I liked it. Did You liked it before when we when it actually came out. Yeah. It's got a nice lyric, and I like the feeling of it. So this that was the highlight for me. Two of the last three songs are probably my favorites off the record. Gaia, which ends the album, we've already talked about a little bit. And then there's Lucky Ones, probably the most poppy Julian gets on the record. Lucky ones? Lucky ones for sure. An up-tempo track, a nice hook, and Julian is singing about, well, revolution. In this case, revolution in the environmental sense. What he says is that he hopes that he can inspire hope and unity with this track. The track in the middle, well, not one of my favorites. Six minutes of Julian borrowing his own lyrics. If you want to tell me something new, I might stick around. Stick Around was the better song. It is long. And it goes it goes weird places in the middle of the song. Yeah. Which is one reason why I think it might be about his dad. I mean, he there's something about it musically that is dad-like. Yeah, I could see that. But I, I don't know whether I'm really being invited to consider that or not. Then Gaia, which we kind of already mentioned. So, I mean, you know, two out of the last three songs are the ones that I like a lot on this record and breathe. I like a fair bit of like you say it. I just think it kind of needed to be cut down. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, side two is the better side. Is there really going to be a side two? Well, or is this just in your head? Well, I mean, there is a vinyl version of the record. 
Okay. The way it's laid out on the artwork saved me through round and round again on one side, on the left-hand side, and then on the right-hand side, you've got the other five tracks. Uh, so That would lead you to believe it was two-sided. And that, you know, I'm sure it's the same artwork on the vinyl copy. And the times yeah. work out just about right. I mean, the whole record is 50 minutes. Yeah, 46. E- longer than it needs to be. <laughs> it's not a terrible record. It's not a, no. a tremendously enticing one. Maybe three songs that I'll put onto my iTunes list off of this, the 11. Well, I thought it was interesting in one of the interviews when the interviewer you know, gave Julia a, a chance to kind of really promote. He said, you know, so what would your mother say about this record? And he said, well, she'd say, good on you. Well, okay. <laughs> Although I think Cynthia probably would have said more than that because Cynthia was always one of Julian's biggest fans. Right. <laughs> Mothers are supposed to be that way. Supposed being the key word, maybe. Yeah. Well, you know. All right. We'll be back next week with a new show. We will. When we figure it out. Subscribe to When They Was Fab on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or wherever finer podcasts are found. Please join our Facebook group, and we can be reached at When They Was Fab and on Gmail. The opening theme was written, produced, and recorded by Jay Young Kim, Beaster Famine Studios, San Francisco, California. You know, the main focus on how this came together was partly due to the pandemic uh, and certain turns of events, but I still want to go back to all the other stuff that I love. Um, and so I think probably, you know, looking looking uh, down the road, that's the approach that I probably would take is EPs and singles in the future to allow me the time to do everything else because – you know, once I get wrapped up in an album project, it's years. It's, right. You know, it, that's where I am. Um, and but, the distribution, you know, the distribution is very different too. I mean, in the eighties, you were probably relying on a label to distribute your music, or you were pounding streets. Now you can create something, and you literally could just put it out there yourself if you wanted to. Yeah. No. Absolutely. But I still think you know. I I felt that you know if I was going to do this, I. I needed the support to get this out there. And after not having done something for 11 years, I thought, you know, if there's any chance of this being seen or heard again, um, then it has to be with, uh, uh, it has to be with working with someone. And the whole BMG thing, which is uh, at present just for this album, you know, the whole, the whole, how this came about was literally the head of BMG had met two friends of mine on the opposite sides of the planet. Um, and uh, Hartwig, uh, Masushi is his name, the head of BMG. And he, my name came up. I don't know how that happened. Um, mm. 
But uh, he, he had said to both of my friends, one was in Russia and one was in America, over the course of six months to a year, I can't remember exactly. And he just said, listen, if Jules ever wants to do an album again, please ask him to get in touch with me. Free. I tell you one thing, there's sickness going on and there's some good people doing work in hospitals. But they got no bread to do it on. Not only are they working in a miserable condition with sick people, but they're, they're scraping the barrel for funds to keep going. Turned up nice again. Hey. 